Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm not, I don't know. I'm a little bit ticked off. Yeah. Uh, just reminds me of just how little we've got going on in the world <laughs> right now with the lockdown. The lockdown's been extended in Alberta and the case counts are going up. It's just kicking me off. Vaccines are slowly, finally picking up here. But uh, this has just gone on forever. And uh, yeah, kind of bums been me up the whole thing. been over a year now. Yeah, gray day here, miserable day. We've had, you know, now we've had two St. Paddy's days under under uh, COVID. We've had two vernal equinoxes. You know, there's we're starting to get around to the second time through of uh, of uh, things not going on the way they ordinarily might. So the Oilers game, Bruce. We're going to do the podcast anyway. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about the Oilers game being postponed. We'll talk about a little bit about the Flames loss. Uh, we'll talk about, um, and we'll dig a little bit into Tyson Berry. Um, it's been a big issue for, you know, about his contract coming up. And I, I don't think actually anything's going to happen to the end of the season on his contract. I don't think there's anything imminent perking along. Nonetheless, we'll take a, it has become a bit of a, a hot point issue, whether they're going to sign him or not. And there's a few things that, that are worth watching as the year goes on in terms of Barry and his play, I think, that we'll dig into. So, Bruce, uh, what was what do you think about the game being postponed? How are you? What did you, how did you react? Uh, I had like, it's kind of hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach, to, to be honest with you. I just, you know, there was nothing where the hockey game was supposed to be. And it was like, you know, uh, it's just sort of a multiple dose of bad news coming very, very late, like. The players yeah. would have been dressed and getting ready for warm-up, at least from the from the sounds of it. And uh, uh, they had uh, uh, so that short notice, and I guess a couple of Montreal players tested uh, well had anomalous test results. And Early in the had, day, yeah, yeah, and it, they they couldn't resolve do all the contact tracing or whatever they needed to do, and so they thought before. Playing the game, I mean, if the Montreal team has been exposed to it, the last thing we want them to be doing is playing our Oilers, right? So that's for it was uh, Yoel Armia and Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Mm. So uh, I don't know if they're roommates or not, and and of course we're hoping that everything's fine with these players. And you know, usually with young people, there's exceptions to the general, but for with young healthy people, there's usually not much of an issue with COVID. Um, but there's always exceptions to that. And I agree, Bruce, like glad that the, glad that this is, there's no outbreak on the Oilers and, you know, they had to postpone the game. That's obviously the wise thing to do. It's a close contact sport. Um, it was when Alberta was having games in hockey, it, it was mainly spreading on team buses. I don't know mm-hmm. if there was any proven spread during games or not, but I think in the United States, they found in some basketball games that there had been spread during during games, if I'm not mistaken. So the latest is coming out um, of Montreal from hockey writer Eric Engels is the Canadians say they've decided to close their practice facility tomorrow. No media availability. Players and staff will report to the facility in the morning for COVID testing 
as usual. So, and John Shannon tweets out, the question of whether or not Oilers versus Canadians on Wednesday is a go won't be decided until Tuesday afternoon. Canadians team requires full PCR testing in the morning. Mm -hmm. So there was initial talk that maybe they would postpone tonight's game to Tuesday night. Right. I'm not hearing much talk about that now. Pierre right. Lebrun mentioned that. That doesn't sound like it's a possibility now, but we'll see if they play Wednesday or not. What what hasn't been answered is like the I'm a, I'm guessing the owners were going to practice tomorrow somewhere. I don't know. Like, are they going to be able to get ice elsewhere, or do they have to just sit around too and uh, because of this or not? So we don't know that. Isolated in their hotel rooms. A couple extra uh, days off in Montreal just when you can't use them at all. <laughs> that's right can they not even go for walks is is that the protocol i i, I haven't read the, <clears throat> the thoroughness of the protocol to, to yeah i fully take it in i do know that they're making uh plant you know they're doing living life conservatively to try and stay as far away from the virus as they can and i i do believe that uh, most of the players are respecting that because of but it's you know it's everywhere in, in society and unless you're in a true bubble like they were last year. I'm just really kind of amazed that it took this long for one to be in Canada. You know, 37 games have been cancelled or postponed in the United States. This is the very first one in Canada, so it's, it's yeah, they, a welcome thing, and that involves the Oilers, makes it that much they, more bitter, although it doesn't, luckily it's not the Oilers team, like that would be the worst case, obviously, for, for us as Oilers fans. As we all know, there's been way more cases, higher higher rate of case counts and percentage of the population getting sick in the United States than in Canada. Canada took lockdown much more aggressively and seriously um, than the Americans did. That said, Bruce, the NBA teams, three NBA teams have now been vaccinated. Um, I think it's a matter of time before the NHL, the NHL teams, they're starting to vaccinate everyone down there, right? Biden wants to have... You know, everyone vaccinated. I think by the end of is it the end of end of April and uh, May first, and um, they're really moving fast down there. So what we're going to have a situation is all the American teams are going to be vaccinated, and none of the Canadian teams are most likely. We'll see if if maybe sometime in May or June. Like most Canadians are supposed to be getting vaccinated by June, so you'd think the players. You know, it's the government that does the vaccination here. It's not. You know, private corporations aren't going to get special vaccinations for their for their employees. Right. I don't think they can. So I think that the players will be kind of low down on the list. So they'll be waiting till June. And it's interesting, you know, uh, what this what this could mean, the difference for the Canadian and American teams in terms of when they're vaccinated or not, if it's going to have any impact on the playoffs. But fingers crossed, the vaccinations are coming much faster in Canada than they used to. And maybe we'll start um, clipping along at a good rate here. I guess hockey isn't quite the definition of frontline workers. <laughs> no, I mean, it would be some of the same risks. I mean, that's why I bring it up. And so I'm, I'm only yeah. semi-facetious. Semi but, uh, you know, there would be some of the some of the risks of, you know, person-to-person -person contact yeah, that comes to the territory yeah. doing their yeah. job. Super spreaders. Yeah. Like, they're out and about. They're moving around. They're interacting with other people. So you can maybe they're not but, super spreaders, yeah. Yeah, they're doing their best not to be super spreaders. But, uh, yeah, maybe there's a... I, I don't know. Well, I, it didn't go over. I remember a few years ago with H1N1, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the flames at least get vaccinated before other people and that caused a huge stink? Is my recollection collect, correct on that? There's still finger pointing going on at the flames organization as we speak. Okay. Well, it's there you go. It's never goes. been forgotten. 
So I don't imagine this would be any go over any better if NHL players get vaccinated ahead of other 20 and 30 year olds in Canada. Um, although they're, as you say, they could be in a situation where they're more likely to spread than others. So it could be an argument of some sort. Bruce, um, there's been other Oilers postponements of games in the past. And I, I remember one where the lights went out in Boston. But, mm-hmm. but what are, which ones were you thinking of? Well, I can only remember two, and I've been racking my brains thinking, well, there must have been one where, you know, they had a snowstorm or something and they had to play the game the next night or something. But I can only think of two. And they're both kind of epic, so they're 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 they're, they're uh, interesting stories. First one was in 1974-75 when the Oilers were in the WHA, and they had uh, that was first year of the Coliseum, so they had the first year of the Canadian Finals rodeo. And for whatever reason, that year they had it in March. It subsequently became a November staple in this community for a long, long, long time. Uh, Canadian Finals rodeo, uh, but this one was in March. And the Oilers, this was, WHA was insane. I was looking at the schedule. Uh, so uh, the Oilers went on a 12-road game and 13-game schedule. Five-game road trip to Michigan, Chicago, Cleveland, New England, Winnipeg. One home game against Quebec. And a seven-game road trip to Indianapolis, Cleveland, Minnesota, New England, Quebec, Michigan, and Toronto. So they no stayovers. None of this two- or three-game series like we, we got used to out here in the West. And they played 18 games in, in March of 1975 with the last game scheduled on March the 30th against the San Diego Mariners. And it was their first home game in basically all month. <laughs> so some hockey star friends and I decided we would go out to this game. And we got to the game at, uh, uh, you know, regular time. We got there and the ice was friggin' black. They had the finals of the Canadian Rodeo. I think that afternoon they'd had the session, and they thought, we'll just shovel all the dirt out of here, clean off the ice, and we'll be good to go. And the ice was black. Have you heard this story? No. It was just, they couldn't and, get the dirt off? And, and so was, the Zamboni was going around and around and around and around the ice, and every few minutes the PA announcer would come on and say, ladies and gentlemen, don't be concerned, there will be a game tonight. We just have to get the ice clean, and then the players will warm up, and we're going to play. And around and around and around went the Zamboni. And <laughs> so around about, I think it was 9.30, uh, two and a half hours after the start time, uh, something in this range anyway. And they finally announced, we will be warming up and then having a game. And, then you know, the 1,200 people that were still in the building all cheered. And they came out for the pregame warm-up, Jacques Plant leading the charge for the Oilers. And he came out and he faced a bunch of shots in the net right away. And after about... 15 shots he just skated right over to the timekeeper's bench and said i'm not playing this is unsafe we can't be playing in this stuff there's a black spot i can't pick the pucks up one of those pucks could kill me i'm not playing (laughs) here we are 10 o'clock at night fans some fans have been waiting there all night and they said well and so they announced and said we had to cancel the game sorry ladies and gentlemen keep your ticket stubs and come back tomorrow night or we'll give you a full refund so we made the mistake of keeping our ticket stubs and coming back tomorrow night when the Oilers were still playing their 18th game in March and they fell down meekly and mildly 5-2 to San Diego Mariners in one of the worst hockey games I've ever seen. Uh, and just just brutal payoff for two nights of patience. So it was a very memorable one-day postponement and, and just the growing pains of our wonderful Coliseum the first year that they made some mistakes and uh, this was a doozy. 
did they don't they have to paint the ice like when they make <laughs> NHL ice to get that white that night? Don't mm -hmm. they actually paint the paint something or other, either the ice, the first layer of ice, I'm not sure, and then they ice over it to get it so white? Isn't that what it's usually? Yeah, and, the, and for things like the rodeo, I think subsequently they put like a great big huge tarpaulin down, but uh, don't quote me, there were changes were made. So that when they lifted the, the dirt out of there in subsequent years, the ice was, say, or they took the ice right out even. I don't know, maybe there's someone who worked at the Coliseum who can fill us in, but uh, it was... Uh, uh, it was a mistake of whether it was dirt right on the ice and they thought they could just wipe it away or what. It, it, it failed spectacularly. And we had black ice in Northland's uh, Coliseum. Was there another one, Bruce, that you remember being postponed? Well, I do. And this one you remember too. I know it and so will a lot of people. This was in the 1988 Stanley Cup Finals against uh, Boston Bruins. Yeah. Uh, game four uh, at Boston Garden, Oilers were up 3 nothing in the series. They had a chance to win the cup. I remember that morning saying, geez, I'd really love for us to get a sweep and get this cup again. But man, I'd love to see the Oilers win it at home game. But there's no way they can sweep at home, right? It's impossible. It's either one or the other. And it wound up that they flipped the coin and it landed on its edge. Because both those things happened. <laughs> the Oilers swept the series and they swept it at home because the game got cancelled. In Boston, uh, they played uh, uh, 16 minutes and 37 seconds of the second period. Craig Simpson scored to tie it at three. Boston had the lead, and it would have been a very different dynamic if Boston had led when the lights went out. But Simpson scored to tie it up, and they showed the replay, and all of a sudden the screen went blank, and it stayed blank. And we wound up getting the coverage. Remember the dark lights under the stands, and Harry Neal and so on would be saying, well, we don't know if we're going to get a game going tonight. The, Emergency generators on, but this ain't hockey light. And they wound up canceling the game and having to come back to Edmonton to play, basically restart it. And uh, so we still had the 3 nothing lead in the series, and now we're at home. And because of that, because Edmonton might have won that game in Boston, but because of that, I personally and 17,000 other people got to see Wayne Gretzky's last game as an Edmonton Oiler, where he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal. Uh, set up two others. The orders beat Boston 6-3 to three and uh, skated away with the Stanley Cup and did the big team pitcher at center ice. Just a very, very memorable game and one that became even more memorable weeks later when Gretzky went away. So it was uh, a memorable postponement that had a very happy ending. The other one didn't have a very happy ending at all. But this one had a very happy ending in terms of the season ending on the best possible note. There's a cup on our ice at home where all of our fans can get to enjoy it. And then, then they got married, of course. Wayne and Janet got married in July, and then August 9th happened, and everything changed after that. The lights went out that day, too. <laughs> uh, um, so we'll see, Bruce. We'll see. Maybe this, I don't know, gives the Oilers an extra day of rest right now, and maybe they could use it, um, possibly. You know, the, it sounds most likely like this game, if it's going to be made up, will be made up at the end of the season. I had this sinking feeling like that Connor McDavid won't get 100 points because he, he'll have to play one fewer game and it'll be uh, short of 100 points would have been nice. But that's a small, small thing. First, let's move on to Tyson Berry. Sure. So I just want to preface this whole conversation with I don't think anything's going to happen with Tyson Berry until the end of the season. And by the end of the season, we're going to have much fuller information about Tyson Berry. 
We'll know how he played in the rest of the regular season. We'll know how he p- performed almost certainly in the playoffs because that's exactly where the orders are headed. And those, and we'll also know how all these other defensemen will have played. They'll also have a little bit better idea about Oscar Kleffbaum, I think, by then, maybe, possibly. Um, when the, the decision's going to be made sometime in the summer, that's some time from now, and maybe they'll have an idea whether Clefbaum's a possibility at all for next year or not. So they're going to have a lot more yeah. information. Yes. And so all of this talk is premature. Like all of the worry, I, I guess the worry was that they were owners were going to suddenly get sign them up right now to a new deal and move no forward. Chance. Well, probably not. I mean, you I never know, it's... but probably, I agree, Bruce, I, I'm, I'm with you. I just think the prudent thing is to wait, and I, I suspect that's what they're going to do. And um, that said, um, there's some fans who are worried about all of the cheap assists, the second assists that uh, Tyson's Tyson Berry is getting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I usually find that second assists are warranted. You know, usually there's at least three players who make a significant contribution to a goal. And um, the second assist can be really, you know, a stretch pass, a crucial play. Sometimes they're not. But that said, when you're giving a player a contract, the NHL tends to pay for points. And players over a full year sometimes do have kind of inflated point totals. And so what you really want to do is pay for the real true talent of the player, the true offensive talent of the player, which points doesn't always represent. And the true defensive talent of the player, which is even harder to figure out. Yep. So with, with Tyson Berry, um, I was digging into some research today about Yessa Pugliarvi. He's got only 13 points, Pugliarvi, in, in, um, in 33 games. And yet, when, when you look at our numbers, we look at the major contributions that players make to grade A chances. Pugliarvi's made a good rate of those. He's made a good number of those. In fact... He's fourth on the team per game in, in making a major contribution, like a, a shot or a pass, a screen or a battle one that leads directly to a grade A chance. It's a hugely significant thing. He's fourth on the team. McDavid is at 5.6 per game. Dreisaitl is at 4.4 per game. Nugent Hopkins is at three a game. And Pugliarvi is at 2.3 a game. Tyson Berry is a top D-man at 1.7 a game. And Darnell Nurse is at 1.2 a game. So when I was doing this, I was looking, okay, how many of Jesse Pugliarvi's contributions turn into points? And it turns out it's a very low rate. Seven, just 17% of his many chances, or many uh, contributions to Grady chances end up as points. 17%. And so the average on the team is 30%. That's the average when you compare contributions to chances and points. 30%. <laughs> Tyson Berry and Darnell Nurse, though, and this is the cause, a little bit, this is something to keep an eye on as this season progresses, it, it could change. 53% of Tyson Berry's contributions to chances have ended up with him getting a point. That's really high. But Darnell Nurse is at 61%. That's double mm-hmm. the team average. So he's getting... For some reason or another, puck luck or playing with McDavid at even strength, that's probably a lot of it. Playing with dry subtle McDavid will, will have this impact a little bit. But mm-hmm. he's getting a lot of points for, he's making okay off offensive contributions, but his points are kind of out of this world based on that. And the same goes with Tyson Berry. So that's that's what I've, you know, in digging into this information on Pulley RV today, that's what I found out. And I just thought, oh, that's, yeah. 
that's interesting. And that's, you, you know, you don't want to pay if someone's not really creating all these chances and they're getting a ton of points. You don't want to pay for all those points. You should be, you should be aware of that. Yeah. I want to discount to some degree you pay, you know, anyway, I don't know how that's certainly one methodology. And, and I wonder some of it is we study the goals a little closer than the other scoring chances because of the result. But uh, also I know that both guys have been involved in uh, uh higher share of goals off a of grade B looks than you would expect. I mean, Darnell Nurse has scored three, four goals on shots from outside this, uh, the scoring zone, so maybe he's got a great shot, or maybe he's caught a couple of goalies in a bad bad way at a bad moment, or what have you, but it's it's helped to uh, uh, to bring up his points, uh, bring up his points total, obviously. I guess the, the only other thing I'd say is, I'm starting, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm just in the middle of this. So, cause you know, as this conversation heats up, the owners really do have a number of decisions to make Bruce. They've got sure. players, they've got to sign Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, Alex Chase on Gaetan Haas. Uh, they've got decisions to make on uh, Adam Larson and Tyson Berry. And then they have contracts coming up the year after that. You know, yes, a is going to need a, a new contract. Um, Evan Bouchard's going to need a new contract. So there's there's decisions coming up both this year and next year, and they've got to they've got to look at it. So I'm starting to crunch the numbers now. And just my one of the other things, you know, as we dig into this, it's we're going to have to figure out. The Oilers are going to have to figure out, but no, not not us. We're just kind of armchairing it. But the 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 Oilers are going to have to take a serious look at. Do you have the money for um, if Tyson Berry, for instance, wants five or six million dollars a year um do you have that money right now bruce the, the cap's not changing as we go forward and so whose salary slot is he taking so yeah. it could be chris russell's he's going down three million a year right and maybe adam larson will make a little bit less if they bring him back but who's if they bring him back, if they bring him back. but who's who's so where's that money it's already, you know, the Oilers are already pressed up against the cap. So mm -hmm. really the salary slots that they have right now, they can't really change that much at all. Unless something happens with Oscar Clefbaum. Might change things a little. Or unless they buy out James Neal, which is going to open up some cap space. But I've heard this sure idea would. that the Oilers have a lot more cap space coming. And mm -hmm. honestly, I don't see it. Um, they have a bit more cap space coming, but they also are going to have to sign another goalie next year, right? If it's, they have Miko Koskinen, they got to sign either Mike Smith or another goalie. So the, the salary slots that they right have, have right now, and I think this is actually a kind of a good and helpful way to think about this, is just look at who's getting the money right now and then fill in the name of who should be getting that money next year. So mm -hmm. like Nugent Hopkins, he's getting $6 million a year. If he wants more, then that's taking away from someone else. Can you really afford to give him more than that mm -hmm. even? Like, will that be prudent? And I'm just, I, no. I'm, a, I'm on the skeptic side with Tyson Berry, honestly. Like, I, I'm on the side with, they have Evan Bouchard coming. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing how the money works mm -hmm. um, with Tyson Berry and the Edmonton Oilers going forward. I don't see where the slot is unless it's the slot that he has right now. And right. you don't think Evan Bouchard's going to take that slot. And I think he is. So that's that's kind of my starting point. That's my bias heading into this is I'm not on sign up team. I'm not on sign Tyson, team Tyson 
and I know like some of some people some people are um, pretty adamant that they want to see that happen. There's probably more adamant that they don't want to see it happen, but I don't know how you can make it happen. Lots of adamancy out there on both sides <laughs> of any equation these days. It seems like. Yeah. My take on Tyson Berry all along has been he's a one-year rental. He's not a part of a year rental. They're not going to trade him at the deadline. Uh, the idea of moving on from at the deadline and somehow recouping assets that they never gave to get the guy in the first place is silly. Can you imagine McDavid and Drysdale being told, oh, you remember that offensive defenseman we got for you? Yeah, we traded him for a second-round pick. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But they've rented him for the whole season. At the end of that season, both sides can reach a, a, a decision about where they want to go next with it. Are they still a match? Obviously, the Oilers have first dibs to talk to Barry. And if they make him a sweet enough offer, he will sign it. Or they'll make him an offer that he can come back to them if he doesn't find better somewhere else. And, and they can do it on the second day of free agency, like they did with uh, uh, with uh, Mike Smith this year, for example, or uh, Alex Chase on uh, last year. Um, or Tyler Ennis, they did the same thing with him. Uh, yeah. They've got to, you know, you're exactly right to talk about it in terms of slots on the payroll. And you have layers of players at particular salaries at each position. And all the teams, have, you know, they have, you know, obviously they have 81.5 million. That's all they can spread around there. So you find efficiencies in one spot so you can overpay in another spot. And you, you ideally you have a lot more efficiencies than overpays. The teams that win always seem to have that. And they've got uh, <clears throat> some of the slots are going to be more expensive next year. I mean, the goaltending cost them six million plus a maximum five hundred thousand dollars in bonuses this year. Six point five million. It's like eight percent of the cap, and that's for ten percent of your game night roster, seventeen percent of your players on the ice at any given moment, and only eight percent of your budget. That's uh, that's some uh, that's some pretty decent management. And uh, Ken Holland. For what he's been getting out of Mike Smith, that's a value contract and a half that he signed. He won't. If he brings back Mike Smith next year, he'll either cost more or he'll bring in somebody else who's going to cost more. But the goaltending budget's going to go up, so you're going to have to find somewhere else where you can you can uh, make it fit. Essentially, the slot that Tyson Berry has this year is between some of the money from the goalie situation mm -hmm. that they didn't spend. Mm -hmm. And it's Oscar Clefbaum's LTIR yeah. money. That's the slot. Mm -hmm. So if Clefbaum is coming back, that slot's not there really at all. I mean, if you right. let's say you just bring Larson back at the same money, I guess there's a little bit of money coming from um, from Chris Russell um, getting a drop in pay. But yep. um, Tyler Yamamoto needs a raise. Mm -hmm. He's going to get a raise. And um, I just see that money that Russell was getting probably going to Yamamoto, probably being apportioned to a forward instead. Be, and I don't see, and then the other forwards are just, it's going to be the same. Everyone's going to get about the same, including Nugent Hopkins is, is my belief. Um, but if you want to solve the goaltending problem, like uh, they tried to this year when they offered Markstrom yeah. money, right? And they wound up, basically they used the $5 million they didn't give to Markstrom per year on the second day but only for one year on one one year contracts to Barry and Smith. 
that's looking pretty darn good. That day two of free agency, they they signed the two guys like one right after the other. Remember, they spent the money on Barry, and then so there's nothing left for, really for goalies, and they brought Smith back on the cheap, really. So it uh, worked uh, out pretty well. It worked Except out pretty well. But it's, it's it's a one year deal, so of course those one year value the value contracts tend to be the short term ones, and the yeah boat anchors tend to be the long term ones. So they hang around. I mean, we're still paying for Benoit Pouliot, right? <laughs> so this is the last year of that, Bruce. Thank <laughs> goodness for that. The last year. Now, if they if they um, buy out James Neal. You know, it, it's looking to me like if the Oilers, if Daryl Cates has unlimited money, a buyout probably is going to be the best bet with James Neal uh, for next season. They they'll save about they'll save about two point seven million for the next mm-hmm. two, two seasons before paying one point nine million in the following two. But they'll save two point seven million dollars against the cap in the first two seasons, and they'll be if Cates does have the money. And I have no idea about that. I know that they're losing just tens and tens of millions of dollars, you know, 50, 60 million dollars this year. Daryl Cates is paying for his, uh, his uh, Oilers. Um, so I don't know if he's going to want to buy out James Neal, but they, they might do that and that will free up some money against the cap. So we'll see if that happens. But as it stands now, again, I'm just... I'm kind of a skeptic about where they're going to get all this money, and I'm certainly a skeptic that they have lots of money, like a, a, a boatload of money to sign, sign some really good players from other teams. They're going to have a hard time keeping this team together if it's successful. Let's hope it is successful and they have that struggle. But that's what I think the struggle is going to be, is keeping the current talent that you have um, as they succeed, uh, keeping them uh, in Edmonton, uh, on salaries that they're willing to accept here. And the, the way you imp- you're going to improve the team is by having players like Philip Broberry and Dylan Holloway, Raphael Lavoie, Ryan McLeod, Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi come up and improve the team that way. It's not going to be signing that Taylor Hall or whoever it is people are dreaming about the order signing. I'm, I don't think it's Taylor Hall anymore, but whoever that is, I'm kind of, kind of skeptical about that. And even keeping Barry, the one-year rental, Seems like a stretch, but uh, you never know. Well, you look at the <clears throat> top teams, and they always seem to have a, a you know some contributing players, uh, usually near the bottom of the roster, but who are on entry level contracts. And that's actually the the aspect of the Oilers that's missing. I mean, uh, Evan Bouchard's on an entry level contract; he's not even playing any games. I mean, t- you tell me who else is on the uh, payroll right now who's on an entry-level contract, Kyler Yamamoto, and that's expiring. Yeah. And so they're going to need two guys already in their second contract or more. So they're going to need two or three next year, right? Two or three entry-level contracts, Ideally. I think. Because yes. you want to also have a, have a stream of players that you're breaking in, right? So you're not breaking in four or five of them all at once, that so you're breaking in two of them at a time, maybe three. Because, but the, I think that's what we'll see next year, Bruce. I do think that they will be looking at breaking in Evan Bouchard will be one of them again on an entry level right. contract, but it, it probably um, I'm guessing either Benson or Marodi. Now they won't, they'll be on cheaper contracts. They won't be mm-hmm. on entry level contracts. And then probably Ryan McLeod or Ryan McLeod. That's the guy I'm liking more and more and what I'm hearing from Bakersfield. Yeah. And that's a guy that's got, uh, uh, you know, still on his ELC. And so, uh, 
he would be able to, you know, provide one. The third year on the ELC is a, is a uh, usually a value year. And then the guy has no negotiating power for the fourth year. So depending on if they give him a one-year extension or a low-ball two-year, however, you know, it still works to the team's advantage on the second contract. So they need to get some of those guys in the system where they're actually contributing to the Oilers at that low low rate. And it could be either uh, Dmitry Samarukov could make the team next year or Philip Broberry could make the team also. One of those two guys uh, are also in the running. Theodore Lenstrom could come back on a, on a one-year deal. So there's a number of options on lefty. I think they're likely, most likely to lose a lefty to Seattle. Uh, I think either Jones or Logason is likely to go to Seattle. It would be my bet at this point. So um, they'll, they'll have some, uh, but those neither of those guys are making much money. So um, they'll be... Right. You'll need a cheaper player. Maybe Slater Cuckoo will come back again. Um, he he played well, I thought, when he was there. Bruce, there was one other piece of news that we should deal with before signing off for the night. Is the Oilers signed uh, Michael Kesselring? Mm-hmm. He was 11th in our um, in our December rankings for the Cult of Hockey prospects, ranked 11th. Right. But on the right uh, side of the defense, in terms of prospects, there's only one player that we had ahead of him, and that is Evan Bouchard, just behind. Uh, Michael Kesselring or Phil Kemp and Philip Berglund, who are two pretty good players as well. And, and, and not the separation between Kesselring and those other two players isn't that great, I don't think. But there's Kesselring, no <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, we're just guessing. From, we, we, we watched all the players play, though, at least this mm-hmm. fall. Like we, with yes. our own eyes, we, we reviewed their games. And this is the, you know, we, in a limited number of games where we could get it wrong quite easily, this is what we saw. And I'm, Kesselring is uh, now he's 6'5", 215 pounds. He he's doubled his scoring pretty much, or even more so, a higher rate of scoring in first to second year at college hockey. He just turned 21. He's a decent, he's a good skater at the college level. I think he's going to have to improve his skating. He's got pretty good skills, good hockey sense. I mean, I just think he's got to get better at every aspect of the game to make it, but he's a very interesting player, and I can't wait to see him in Bakersfield. I haven't yet subscribed to the Bakersfield service for the season, but I think I'm going to uh, as these players arrive from U.S. college and from Europe. You know, when, when Broberry gets there and Lavoie and Kesselring and Kemp and those players, I want to see this. T- I want to watch the, the Condors then. Yeah, they're still building the team because they've still got guys coming over. I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> both Kemp and, and uh, uh, Lavoie are still... Play, they're in something called the Play Out series in the Swedish Hockey Elsvenskan, uh, where uh, the two bottom teams in the second division, Elsvenskan, uh, play a series with the loser getting relegated. So it's just to keep in the division, and the loser gets relegated down to the third division, Hockey Apple, I think it's called. And so big, big games. And uh, uh, Lavoie went and got himself suspended. Missed the first two games of the series, which they lost both games, Vasby, his team, and Kemp's team. And uh, he came back and he played in games three and games four, both of which Vasby won. Today they won in double overtime to stay alive, 3-2 and double overtime. I think, I saw films and I think uh, Lavoie had an assist on the tying goal and nothing to do with the winner. But I also saw a bit that he was back in the in the Huskow for some kind of cheap shot during the game again, which if he just got suspended, I mean, that's uh, that's not good. 
So, you know, <laughs> so I mean, it's, you it's, gotta, you gotta be disciplined in that scenario. Gotta be. These so are huge the, games I'm for, you know, these are money games for sure. the owners. For Vasby, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. They got a, it's division. And so it's kind of like the Flames against the Senators kind of game, you know, the crappy teams. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> Senators beat the Flames tonight. And, uh, in not regulation. Only, in regulation. Thank goodness, no loser point. I, I, I hear that Montreal may be, a, even though the game was postponed tonight, Montreal may be awarded a loser point or a Batman point by the NHL. Anyway, at the end of the game, Bruce, at the end of the game tonight, the, the, the Ottawa goalie wins his first game, Gustafsson from Sweden. He mm-hmm. wins his first NHL game, and uh, Brady Kachuk goes to collect the puck. But Rasmus Anderson of the Flames has got has grabbed it and is skating off the ice with it when he's confronted. I think it, this is my. I, I could be having some details wrong, but this is what I'm getting so far. He, Brady Kachuk confronts it, and then Rasmus Anderson grudgingly gives it up, and then Matthew Kachuk apparently shoots the puck away. I think. So it's some poor sportsman scenario there with the Flames tonight. Uh, which Rasmus is, Anderson which, and Matthew Kachuk were poor sports. Say it ain't so, Joe. Yeah, the Black Sox, the Calgary Flickers, are the Black Sox of the NHL right now. I mean, Kachuk, he's still getting over that guy who lobbed the puck at him at the end of one game in Toronto there. He hasn't been the same since that happened. Who was it for the least? It was, was uh, what's his noodle? Was it Muzzin? Yeah, Muzzin. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that was brilliant. He certainly seemed to distract the grand distractor. Yes, it's always nice. That's why. (laughs) And it's always, you know, if it was a, anyone else, you'd think, why are you doing that? But when you do that to the guy who who has it coming uh, more than any NHL player that I know of, uh, there's poetic justice to that. It's so. not like he rifled the puck at his head or anything. He just lobbed it at him and Kachuk had it coming because he was doing what he does, you know. So anyway, you're going to give and take. Sometimes you got to take and sometimes you just got to deal with it and move on and I don't know what's what's happened down there in Calgary, but I do know they've lost four out of six to Ottawa now. They played well, three, three, five times in eleven days, and Ottawa won the first, third, and fifth games. That's and for all the people. Yeah, that's for all the people who say. Well, the Oilers have only beaten the Senators. Well, yeah. you know, when the Oilers were a bad team, they didn't beat teams like the Senators, and it, was it ever painful? So, you know, that whole critique is just, like, out of this world crazy. Like, thank goodness we're beating the Senators. Like, that's, you've got to beat those bad teams. And if you don't, you really, you really pay the price. The coach of the Flames, Sutter, was saying that uh, the reason they're not winning is lack of grade-A chances, lack of the best chances, scoring chances from the top two lines, is how he framed it tonight. So... I would, from watching the Flames myself, what I've noticed is they're, they're kind of, they seem to be a little leaky on defense, but maybe they have trouble scoring as well. Anyway, I don't want to gloat too much because it's not over yet and stranger things have happened that a team can can suddenly get it together and go on a winning streak. But look I watched, I watched the third period, Ottawa was up one nothing, and... and uh... Somehow, Goudreau got behind everybody, and Milan Lucic, of all people, hit him with a perfect feed breakaway, right, right on the blue line, perfectly onside. Goudreau went and tied it up. How, how do you give up a breakaway with a one nothing lead and five minutes left? I'm going, oh, no, they got at least a point now, and they'll probably get a sleaze one out in the shootout or something. <laughs> and Ottawa uh, are, are 
six million dollar man Markstrom coughs up a six million dollar rebound right into the slot, and uh, Chris Tierney buries it with two and a half minutes to go, and that was the game winner. And I mean, you watch, you'll see the replay later, David. You can tell me if you think it was a bad rebound, but I thought it was. If it's an outside shot, you know that he should have handled, then yeah, that would, that's what we consider to be a bad rebound. If you know, unscreened outside shot, was it that? It, it, he should have he should have done better with it. He either should have eaten it up or at least spit it off to the side somewhere rather than right out into the slot. Okay. Well, we'll see how that contract works out for Calgary. I mean, earlier in the year they were gloating in Calgary, right, with Markstrom because he was mm-hmm. stealing them games, and and since then the gloating has stopped. But I don't. Oh, and it's, it's just moved to Edmonton. <laughs> it's just moved. To, yeah, it's shifted, shifted cities, and I've been as guilty of it as anyone. But it's early days on this contract, and we'll see how it goes. I just, I'm just always, I'm probably overly skeptical. This is another reason I'm not bullish on the Barry, whole Tyson Berry thing. I'm always really skeptical of big contracts for players heading into their 30s. It's just kind of a allergic reaction that I have to them. And I've been wrong on it before. I was like when they when they traded Ryan Smith, I was thinking, well, he's getting older, you know, and and it's you know moving on. It's probably not a bad idea. You know, that, it turns out in that contract I was wrong. I think he he gave value for that contract. But just generally speaking, it, I just, I'm so skeptical of, of investing your money there. It's generally speaking not a thing that really good teams do. And um, so hopefully we'll see what happens with the Flames on that. Yeah, well, Tyler... Um... Tyson Berry himself said in a post-game interview the night he had four assists against the Flames. Uh, and they asked him after the game about contract. And he said, you know, we haven't even begun to talk about it. The business at hand is get to the playoffs. And then we got plenty of time to worry about that after. And I thought that's a perfect idea, for both for you and the team. There's no rush on either side. They've just passed the deadline where they can start to negotiate on an extension. Uh, but there's no reason to rush. I mean, they're going to have dibs on this guy for like, what, a month, two months after the season is over? Uh, certainly after the regular season's over. And they'll have their time to discuss whether it's still a good fit and whether they can afford his price. And if not, then, uh, they, you know, they move on to other options. And they have other options. So they can't afford to be going too, too, too high on Tyson Berry. The fact that he said that, Bruce, and if mm-hmm. he means it, makes me really like him. Like, oh, I just think that's that's fantastic if that's his attitude and that's the way they're conducting business. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that's the, both sides will know a lot more then about his real value to the Oilers, and mm-hmm. the, and you go from there. And um, he was very matter of fact about it, and, and what he said made perfect sense. And it wasn't like he was angling or doing any kind of negotiating in the media or anything. He said, "No, we're not just not there yet, and we don't need to be." Well, he comes from, I believe, a business family, right? His, his father's quite well off. And Len uh, Barry? Yeah. He's, Former he's a multi, NHLer. multi-millionaire. <laughs> he used to own the Lightning. Yeah. yeah. He's, so, uh, yeah, so he's quite a piece probably, of work, Len Barry. Probably has a fairly good understanding of business. <laughs> and and I don't know anything about Len Barry other than he owned a, was a part owner yeah. of the Lightning. But anyway, good for Tyson Barry. I'm glad he said that. That is the correct attitude. And uh, we'll see what happens with the NHL market i don't think it's going to be particularly good market for players this summer and barry will probably be in a very similar position that he found himself in this year even even with uh, a a better season point total wise than he had last season 
and he is playing well. Like I love it when he's got the puck on the, his stick. He really is a fine offensive defenseman. There's just no well, doubt about that, it. And that five-man unit, I mean, we can we can talk all we want about our, our stats, but the five-man unit works in concert. And it's not necessarily the guys at the back end that are making the plays that are, you know, into the slot and into the net, but they're part of the cycle and, and, the, and the control of, of, the, of the flow of play that leads to those opportunities. So, so there's maybe in a way that, uh, that we still can't count the, the, the true proper contribution, but I do know that five-man unit as a, as a, as a group of five is, is very impressive. And that's with either with Nuge or Drysaddle, and uh, you know McDavid, Puljujarvi, Barry, and Nurse, and and when any of those five are on the ice at the same time, the Oilers get the puck. They're generally going to hang on to the puck for a while and do something with it. Do they ever? I really love that five-man unit. My only thought is, I just have a feeling Evan Bouchard could fit into that five-man unit Maybe pretty so. well. Is pretty well too. One day. Maybe not this year. It's not going to happen, obviously. Mm-hmm. They might have to send Bouchard down, quite honestly. Like, he's got to play, doesn't he? I mean, I guess they're worried about injury, but they have Lenstrom here, and um, he's got to, I don't think, sitting around for the whole second half of the season here, Bruce. Is that going to work? Like, should they send him down at this point? Then they have to worry about COVID protocols, but maybe they got to just, just do it. Well, you just win the next 10 games in a row to get into you know, a nice big lead in first place, and then you can start experimenting with your roster down the stretch. That's the uh, do they do that? I don't <laughs> think teams do that. This isn't like Major League Baseball, yeah. It's high in think... the sky. Well we're, well, we're not playing hockey tonight, and we're living in bizarro world. We might as well have some bizarre ideas. Alrighty. Well, let's leave it there, Bruce, and hopefully we'll um, get some good news tomorrow, and they'll be, they'll be playing uh, Wednesday night at least still have a faint hope maybe that they've even played tomorrow, but I don't think that's going to happen. So thanks for talking. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast.